we thank you for your amazing grace, for the forgiveness that has reached us, the great love shown to us at the cross of Christ. May we now gain a, a clearer picture, a reminder of your goodness to us as we open your words and look at these truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Luke 7, Jesus was talking about John the Baptist, and some people had some really bad things to say about John the Baptist, like he has a demon. I'd say that qualifies as a bad thing to say about somebody. And Jesus, as he was talking about John the Baptist, realized that people had some bad things to say about him, too, about Jesus. In 7.34, Luke 7.34, Jesus says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And let me assure you that when Jesus was called a friend of sinners, it was not meant as a compliment. What they meant is, I consider myself a righteous person, and I would not associate with sinners like those people over there, so this Jesus must not be as spiritual as he thinks he is. Jesus, throughout his public ministry, often showed a willingness to associate people whom society looks down on. Even though Jesus was the holiest person who ever walked this earth, he did not have a holier-than-thou attitude about himself. And it made people upset that he associated with these kinds of sinners. <coughs> now, right after Jesus is called a friend of sinners, Jesus, there, there's a story that Luke tells us about how Jesus was a friend of sinners. And that's what I want us to look at today. It's Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And then we're just going to kind of take it bit by bit today as we walk through it. Luke 7, verse 36 says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now when this Pharisee, this religious leader, invited Jesus over to his house, nobody thought twice about it. Nobody batted an eye. It's, oh, well there's a religious leader and he's inviting this religious figure, Jesus, over to have lunch, lunch with him? No big deal. But then something undignified happened in verse 37. It says, when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Now, I want, wanted to stop right there and, and just remind you that, I mean, I think many of you know this story, but the story is that this woman desperately loved Jesus. She showed it by her actions. And the fact that she was weeping shows us how, how much she knew that she needed what Jesus had to offer. It's a heartwarming scene, except for the fact that it really irked this Pharisee who invited Jesus over to his house. Um, excuse me, I skipped a little, little part here. Um, verse 37, I wanted to make mention of something here. Um, it calls this woman a sinful woman. The word sinful is the same word used in verse 34 for sinner. So that, that's who this woman is. Somehow she had gained a reputation in town of being somebody who was a sinner. Now, it doesn't say exactly why, although every one of us in here could come up with reasons how a person might gain a reputation in the town of being a sinner. Everybody knew it. And, and this woman came, and in verse 38 it says, As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So that's the part, which I, I skipped ahead a little bit there, but where this 
it was this heartwarming scene with the Pharisee, just something inside of him saying, hey, this isn't right. And in verse 39, it says, when this Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Earlier in Luke 7, people were wondering if Jesus was a prophet. It's, it's really very interesting. It was one of the great questions of Jesus' day. Who is this guy who's doing all these things and teaching all these things? Is he a prophet? And here's this Pharisee who had invited Jesus over to his house, and, and this Pharisee was probably wondering, is Jesus a prophet? And now this sinner comes in and starts doing these things to Jesus, and he doesn't do anything about it? The spirit, they use the word sinner again. It's the third time already we've seen this word in our passage. And I want to point out that it's never Jesus who called this woman a sinner. Now, obviously, Jesus did know what kind of woman this was. But he didn't look at her and cross his arms and look down his nose at her and call her sinner, like the Pharisee did. He looked at her and loved her and saw her as someone that he desperately wanted to know the grace and forgiveness that he came to bring. So he was a friend of sinners like this woman. And this woman came to Jesus as a sinner, like I said, somebody who desperately needed that grace and forgiveness. I just want to stop right here and ask you a question. When you came to Jesus, did you come as a sinner? This woman came weeping. I mean, you get the impression she could hardly get a word out of her mouth and she was just so grateful for who Jesus was. She knew she was a sinner and that Jesus offered forgiveness. Is that how you came to Jesus? Sometimes people come to Jesus because things that don't quite feel right in their lives and, and they kind of want help. Hey, Jesus, I'm kind of stuck here. Would you mind giving me a hand? Okay, thanks, thanks, buddy. Uh, some people come to Jesus because they rightly believe that hell is a terrible place. And, you know, it's like, hey, Jesus, if you could uh, possibly make it so that I don't have to be hell, I don't have to go to hell, that would be great. And don't get me wrong, those are, those are legitimate things to come to Jesus for. But I want to ask you the question, when you came to Jesus, did you also come as a sinner? Did you recognize your, your deep need for forgiveness? We'll get back to that idea in a little bit. Our story today is heading towards forgiveness. And to emphasize that point, Jesus tells a short parable here. And specifically, he turns to the Pharisee, who we now see in, in uh, is it verse 40, that he is named Simon. And what's interesting to me here is, in verse 39, it said Simon the Pharisee was speaking these things to himself. What kind of a man is this hanging out with this kind of a woman? And then Jesus answers him, even though he was speaking to himself. So I want to read for you verses 40 to 42. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Jesus goes on, Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Now if we get the context here, a denarius was a day's wage, and this real crude, simple calculation, 500 denarii would be about $50,000 in today's wages, and, and 50 denarii would be about $5,000. So we're talking about debts here between $5,000 and $50,000. But a very important detail is in verse 42, where it says neither of them had the money to pay him back. Now Jesus is using the language of debt here. Both men had a debt, and neither of the men could pay the debt back. 
And, and death is actually a really good word to describe our sin. The, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, something that we have earned, every single one of us, because we're all sinners, every one of us has earned a debt. And that debt, we, we know from the Bible, is a spiritual and physical separation from God that would last for all of eternity unless God comes in and does something about it. So here's the thing about our debt. We could never repay it. We could never repay our debt. It's only repaid if God does something about it. And what we see in our parable today is that God does indeed do something about it. In our parable, the money lender who represents God decides that he is going to cancel to forgive the debts of both men. So canceling a debt then refers to the forgiveness that we sinners receive. And that word for canceling a debt comes from a Greek word which means to give grace or to forgive. That's the position of God towards us is to give grace and to forgive. What had these two men earned? A huge debt. What could they do about it? Nothing. But in his grace, the moneylender forgave. So these two men encountered the grace of a forgiving man. And then Jesus asks the Pharisee a question. He, he says to Simon, now which of them, which of these two men, will love him more, will love the moneylender more? Simon knew the answer. In verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. He got it right. Jesus told this parable to teach us about forgiveness. But he also told us this parable to teach us what kind of response we should have to the forgiveness that we have been offered. And Jesus' point is that the person who feels like they have had the bigger debt forgiven will be the person who loves more. I don't want to repeat that because I think it's key. The person who feels that they have had the bigger debt forgiven will be the person who loves more. Now, up until this point, the, the emphasis in this room had really been on this sinful woman. The, Jesus and this, the Pharisee and the other guests, they were just having a nice meal together. And then the woman came on the scene and it just changed everything. And, and all eyes were on this sinful woman, and, and maybe on Jesus to see how Jesus would react to this sinful woman. But then Jesus turns the tables, and he now puts the focus on Simon the Pharisee. And I want to read for you verses 44 through 50. Then he, Jesus, turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now just a very quick side note, theologically, that's important here. The, the people were upset when Jesus talked about forgiving sins because they were rightly saying, Well, wait a second. Only God can forgive sins. And it's just one more reminder to us in the Bible of the Trinity that, that Jesus is God the Son and he has every right to forgive sins. So that's what's going on there in those last few verses. But, but I want to get back then to verses uh, 44 through 46. 
that's where uh, Jesus was talking to Simon the Pharisee about what Simon didn't do for him. And I don't think that the, the tone of this is Jesus saying, hey, Simon, I deserve this. Hey, Simon, don't you know who I am? I, I came from heaven, and I'm a pretty important person, and uh, you should be doing these things for me just because of who I am when I come into your... I, I, don't think that's what, I don't think that was the tone of Jesus' ministry. He came to serve, and, and he didn't complain when he didn't get served. I think the reason that Jesus turned to Simon and said these things is to put the emphasis on how thankful this woman had been. So Simon, you didn't kiss me. You didn't give me water. You didn't give me any oil. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing me, wiping my feet with her hair, pouring perfume on my feet. He wanted to point out how grateful the woman was. Her actions showed what was going on in her heart. And in her heart was deep gratitude for forgiveness. Simon the Pharisee didn't feel a need to thank Jesus. Maybe he saw Jesus as his equal. I'm a religious teacher. You're a religious teacher. Yeah, let's, yeah we're, we're pretty much the same. But the simple woman knew better. She threw herself at Jesus, at his feet, and thanked him again and again. Now again, I want to ask you a question. How do you view your sin? When you look at this passage, who do you relate with? with Simon the Pharisee, the person who kind of has it all together. Maybe with Jesus. Maybe you've got a Messiah complex. (laughs) Or do you relate to this sinful woman? This person in desperate need of forgiveness. Or do you view yourself as the one who had only a small bet? In verse 47, Jesus says, He who has been forgiven little, loves little. Do you view your sin as little? Jesus set up this scale. He he talked about in that parable, there was the 50 denarii debt and there was the 500 denarii debt. uh, $5,000 or $50,000 debt. Now, if we're talking money like that, what money value would you put on your sin? You want to know my answer to that question about my sin? Way more than $50,000. a friend of mine shared his testimony this week. It was an interesting testimony. He was a guy who, he wasn't a Christian, and he had racked up tremendous amount of financial debt through his college years and his young adult years. And uh, he just realized that debt was ruining his life. So he decided to go to a Dave Ramsey course. And, and through that course and through interacting with other Christians, he, he became a Christian. But also through that course, he got rid of $33,000 worth of debt in 17 months. Pretty impressive deal. So if we're, if we're looking at a debt of $50,000, you know, in one sense, well, that's a pretty big debt. But in another sense, that's something that, that we could work off. And if we view our sins only like that, or even only as $5,000 worth of debt, we have the wrong picture of our sin. Because remember what I said in verse 42 is one of the keys to this passage. It said, neither one of them had the money to pay him back. We can't pay back our debt. There is nothing that we could do to ever pay enough back to God for what we have done against him. We are the sinful woman in this story. In Ephesians 2.1 it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And I have a challenge for you. It's a little bit morbid, but it's a challenge that I want to give each of you. Uh, assuming that we die before Jesus comes back and assuming that you get 
buried and put in a coffin and they close that coffin on you and they put your coffin in the ground and they put the dirt back on top of your coffin, six feet worth. I have a challenge for you. Try to get out. <coughs> now I believe that at the resurrection, yes, that we will rise again from the dead. But I'm talking before that happens. You're dead in your coffin with all that weight on top of you. Try to get out. You can't do it, right? Of course you can't do it. You're dead. Spiritually speaking, what Ephesians 2.1 says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. What can we do to get over that problem? Nothing. But praise the Lord, Ephesians 2 goes on to say, but because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. We were dead in sins. We are not little sinners. We have been forgiven much. And as such, we should love much. Now, one important distinction in this passage is the different way that Simon the Pharisee and Jesus the Christ viewed this sinful woman. Simon had no love for her. Why? Well, it looks like according to Jesus' parable that Simon didn't love very much. He didn't really think that his debt was that bad of a deal. And he looked at this woman who he thought had a, a whole lot of debt and he said, whoa, she doesn't deserve grace. The woman, on the other hand, was so grateful for Jesus' grace that she disregarded social norms and flung herself at Jesus' feet. It wasn't something a woman was supposed to do in those days to barge into a dinner party and, and cling to the guest of honor. But that's what she did because she was so grateful for the love and forgiveness of Jesus. And what's stunning to me is that Jesus responded by telling her that she was forgiven and saved and can go in peace. It's stunning because forgiveness is stunning. It's stunning because Jesus is a friend of sinners like this sinful woman. And it's stunning because Jesus is a friend of sinners like me. That if we were to stop and think about what our sin really costs, about every, every single one of our sins being offense, an offense against God, and it being my sin that drove Jesus to the cross. If we think about God who knows every single thing that I've ever done, yet He looks at me and loves me, then we begin to understand what it means that Jesus is a friend of sinners. But until you understand the depth of your sin and the depth of forgiveness given to you, you will not understand why Jesus was a friend of sinners. Like I said earlier, Jesus was jeered for being a friend of sinners. At least three other times in the Bible, he was chastised for associating with sinners. How could Jesus eat with such a sinful woman? But something stood out to me this week. I, I want you to notice how this story started out with a detail that was not at all shocking. It said in verse 36, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house. At least two other times in the Bible we see Jesus doing the same thing, eating with Pharisees. Why would Jesus go and eat with Pharisees? Because Jesus is a friend of sinners. And you know what? We're all sinners. Jesus would eat with us too. 
Why does Jesus do that? Because he came to seek and to save the lost. So he came to our world befriending sinners just like us. Showing us how we could be forgiven. The sinful woman picked up on it. And she came weeping to Jesus, grateful for what he had done. And she received forgiveness by faith. And I want to be very clear about the ending of this passage. This woman wasn't saved because of her actions. She wasn't saved because of some act of love. She was saved because by faith she threw herself at Jesus' feet and recognized herself as a sinner in need of grace and forgiveness. And Jesus did forgive her. That's how salvation happens. And that, my friends, is the message that we must know. And it's the message that we should be giving to the rest of this world. And it leads me to another point that I want to make today. That if we have realized that we are sinners in desperate need of forgiveness, that we should be like that sinful woman and want to show gratitude towards Jesus. She came and she poured that expensive perfume on Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, kissed his feet. And wouldn't it be great if we could do that for Jesus? I just think about that sometimes. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if we could do something for Jesus like that? Well, Jesus lives in heaven now. So we can't do that. And now, yes, figuratively speaking, we can do that for the least of his brothers. That's what scripture says. So when we serve people who are in need, it's actually, we're actually doing it for Jesus. But what I want to ask you is the question, if you are truly grateful for the love and forgiveness that Jesus has given you, what should you do about it? Well, here's my big idea for today. We should be friends of sinners so that everyone might learn of God's forgiveness. We should be friends of sinners so that everyone might learn of God's forgiveness. And I want to clarify something first and foremost here about being friends of sinners. It doesn't mean that we join with sinners in what they do. It means that we befriend them and show them love and point them to God. And Jesus is the perfect example for this. Jesus was a friend to this sinful woman. It doesn't mean that he went out and sinned with her. It means that he, in reality, was a friend to her and told her about the forgiveness that she could have through him. So why was Jesus a friend of sinners? Because he came to seek and save the lost. And if we're followers of Jesus, we should do what he told us to do. And what he told us to do is to bring his message of salvation to the world. And how we should do that is by being their friends. And let me tell you, this is not some sort of condescending friendship where we look down at our noses at other sinners and, and let them know how much better we are than them. This is us realizing that we are sinners, saved by grace, and that we simply want people to know this wonderful message of forgiveness that they can have too. And if we recognize the depths of our sins, we will be much better at being friends of sinners because you know what? We'll realize that we can relate to them in so many more ways than we might think. I have been forgiven much. And I hope what that stirs up in me then is great love. To love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and then to love my neighbor as myself. And the most loving thing it said that we can do for our neighbors is to point them to Jesus. So my telling others about Jesus comes from my desire for them to know grace. And I want to do that by being their friend. And I want us all here to be friends of sinners. 
Now, unfortunately, the church in America does not have this reputation. Very rarely would people call the church in America friends of sinners. It's just not a label that would get used for us. And it's sad to me, because the truth is that we are sinners, great sinners, saved by grace. So as we look at those around us, there should be no looking down at them. We just recognize that they're like we were. And that by grace, they can have the salvation that we have in Christ. And the truth is that we were sinners like that sinful woman, and Jesus befriended us. Now can we go and be friends of sinners too? I love that the famous quote about evangelism that says, evangelism, excuse me, evangelism is simply one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That we were wretched, poor, pitiful, blind, naked sinners, desperate and starving, and Jesus came and gave us bread. Saved us. And then, then we just kind of get up and look at the other sinners around us and say, hey, there's a guy over there giving out free bread. That's what our evangelism is. Not looking down at anybody, telling them about the life that they can have in Christ. We who know Christ have been transformed by stunning forgiveness. Three times in this passage the word sinner is used. Three times in this passage also we see that Jesus is the forgiver of sinners. So I want us to view lost people like God does as people that he loves and desperately wants to forgive. I want us to remember that that Jesus came for lost sinners like us and then to show that love to the world. There should be every sense of us loving lost sinners like Jesus does. So what I want you to get from this message is two things as I conclude here. First is an understanding that we are sinners that Jesus came to save. And second, I want us to be friends of sinners like Jesus was, like Jesus is. And when you meet sinners, again, I want you to know that you have every reason to relate to them because you're just a sinner saved by grace. I want them to know that you love them because you've been forgiven and that they can be loved by God and forgiven too. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came eating with sinners with Pharisees who didn't know they were sinners, and with a sinful woman who everybody knew was a sinner. He came so that we could all be forgiven if by faith, like the sinful woman did, we come to Jesus. So let's be people who bring that message to this world. And I just want to close with a very specific application now. That's the, the truth of what I want you to understand is that we are sinners saved by grace and that we should be friends of sinners like Jesus is. And specifically the way that I want to apply that is I want to point out to you that we have a unique opportunity in this season of our church to be friends of sinners and to proclaim the gospel message. I I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some exciting things going on in our church. Uh, We've got this this new building. I mean, those of you that were there yesterday, we saw transformation of a building into something that just looks really wonderful. And, and we had some visitors come and stop by and see it, and it's, it's just this really cool-looking building. Now, we know that a building is just a building. We know that church is the people. But at the same time, there is an excitement, I think. I, I know there's an excitement among us 
And I think that there's even kind of a buzz going around town about our new building. And we have a unique opportunity in these next four weeks to be inviting people to join us. Now, a person coming to a building, that's not a big deal. But a person coming to Christ is a very big deal. And I think that, I, I know that God uses means like this sometimes to draw people to himself. And I just want you to be aware of the fact that God may be moving not just in brick and mortar, but in the hearts of people. In the people, hearts of people that you know, your friends, your neighbors, your family, your co-workers, your classmates. And as Garland reminded me a while back, we all have classmates, even those of us that graduated. (laughs) God may be moving in the hearts of those people in your lives, and I want you to join with me in helping them come to know Christ. And here's how I want you to do it, very specifically. There's lots of ways we can do this, but I want to point out one specific way that we can all be doing this. The first step, as many of you know what I'm going to say right now, is that we pray. Colossians 4, 2 through 6 is my model for this. But first and foremost, we pray. We ask God to change our hearts, to love the lost. We ask God to show us who the people are that he would have us befriend. We ask God to open doors. We ask God to put even specific names of people that we can be sharing the gospel with. So that's the first thing you do is you pray. And as you're praying, I want each of you to be coming up with a list. Uh, One of our denominational leaders just said this week that we should always have a list of, I think he said, three to five people that we're praying for that they would come to know Christ. So I want you to be praying for people and as God puts names on your heart, maybe even you write them down and make a list of them. That's the first step, is to pray. The second step is that we befriend these people. Not in a condescending way, but with the full realization that we are sinners saved by grace and we have every reason to relate to them. So we befriend them, we love them, we interact with them. And then the third thing that I want you to do is I want you to think about inviting them to our grand opening on May 19th. And it, it feels a little bit weird for me to say that. It's like, hey, come to our event. But I can assure you, my heart behind that is not that we would pack out our building, not that we would have numbers to report to my denominational leaders. Not That's not my heart. My heart is that lost people would come to know Jesus. And I think that God might do that through us if we join with him. God is at work in this world, drawing lost people to himself, saving them, and, and making them holy. And I want us to join with him in that process. And one of the ways that we can do that is as we're praying, and as we're befriending these people, we can invite them to join with us. And I, I hope, here's how this goes. I hope it goes that you are so grateful for what God has done for you, and that you enjoy being part of this church, and you've seen how being part of this church has helped you and that you simply then extend this invitation to other people to say, hey, I'd love for you to come and join me at Cornerstone Church. It's an exciting time. Come and see our new building, but also come and see God. So I want you to think about how you can do that, how you can be praying for people, befriending them, and then inviting people to our grand opening. And by the way, we've got grand opening cards. I wanna, I've got one here I want to show you. If I can find it, here it is. Uh, we've got these little postcards here. They, they, just, they say, Cornerstone Church, grand opening. Uh, please join us at Cornerstone Church in our new location downtown for our grand opening. So these are, these are things. I want you to pick them up on the back field. Pick up as many as you need. We'd be glad to order more if they were all gone today. But pick some of these things up and, and be praying for people and befriending them and then inviting them to come and join us at what we're doing. And uh, just one little hint on that, one little tip I should say is 
Um, I'm not thinking of your your neighbor down the street who is the worship leader at the other evangelical <laughs> churches. And, you know, if, if those people want to come and check out our building, they can do that. Uh, I'm thinking about the unchurched. I'm thinking about the people who say they have a church, but they don't really go to church or don't really have a relationship with the Lord. Those are the people that I want you to be praying for and befriending and inviting over the next few weeks. And at our grand opening at May 19th, I'm going to be... I, I'm... Uh, already crafting in my mind a, a sermon for them. It's a four-week sermon series that, by the way, I think you all will enjoy as well. It's from my favorite chapter in the Bible, Colossians 3. It'll be a, a sermon series about how we can build our lives on Christ using the theme of cornerstone. Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. Like I said before, we have a unique opportunity in the history of our church right now to be joining with God in something that could very well be unique spiritually. I just want to urge you to be thinking about that, to be praying, to be befriending lost people, and to be sharing the gospel. One of the ways we do that is by inviting them along with us. We should be friends of sinners so that everyone might learn of God's forgiveness. Praise the Lord that that message has come to us. May we now bring it to others. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for your amazing love for us. That you brought your gospel to, to us while we were lost sinners, sinners. Even like it says in your word, we were enemies of you. Praise you that you loved us, that you sent Christ to forgive us, that we might have salvation in you for every one of us who has received Jesus as Savior and Lord. We praise you for that forgiveness. And as we think about that forgiveness, God, may our response be love. Love for you. Gratitude. Worship of you. And then also love for those around us. And as we think about those around us, God, would you remind us to be praying for them? And would we be their friends to show us, teach us how to be friends of sinners like Jesus is? And Lord, give us boldness, too, to proclaim the gospel or to invite people. God, what we want is for other people to know your message of forgiveness. And what we want is to love you even more because of the depth of forgiveness that we have received. So we praise you, Jesus, for what you did, for your mercy shown to us. Would you please guide us, strengthen us, and empower us to honor you and to love you and to love others the way we should. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.